Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail those questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here's Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing our study of the epistles of John. And we're in 2 John. 2 John has one chapter and has only 13 verses. Because of its brief expanse and private character, this letter did not have wide circulation. And so there were some who thought that perhaps this was just a private letter not to be shared instead of being a part of the inspired canon of Scripture. However, there were a number of quotations in various um, of the early fathers of the church. Uh, for example, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, and Cyprian quoted and uh, used this book that we call, or this letter we call, Second John. Now, the author identified himself as the elder, but did not identify himself as John. So it could refer to the church office, uh, bishop, pastor, elder. Uh, it could refer to his age. Um, and according to some, they think that it was uh, referring to his age because he enjoyed using age descriptions like little children, young men, and fathers. But Peter also called himself an elder in 1 Peter 5, 1. And there are similarities between 2 John and 1 John, 3 John, and the Gospel of John. Words and phrases are common to each of them. Love in the truth, have known the truth, walking in truth, new commandment, love one another, deceiver, antichrist, and abideth. The moral and doctrinal Problems discussed in the second epistle are the same as those mentioned in the first letter. The need for love for one another in obedience to Christ's commandments. And then there's also mentioned the heresy of the denial of Christ's person in the flesh. His personhood in the flesh. And so this is addressed to uh, the elect lady and her children, verse 1, to the, uh, it says, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. So then the question is, who is the elect lady? I remember taking a number of New Testament courses that included 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the question always came up, and there were a number of answers. Um, Ekla, 
curiae, the designation of a universal church by some, or the personification of an unknown local church. Others say that it's the church in Babylon, 1 Peter 5.13. The phrase literally reading, jointly elected one in Babylon, greets you. The Greek phrase, however, is in the feminine gender and could only read the jointly elected woman. If Babylon were a symbolic name for Rome, then John may have been writing to the local church at Rome. However, there's no indication that John was using allegorical language. Both the address and the salutation there in verses 1, 5, and 13 imply that there was a real lady with real children, an actual sister, a regular nephew, and nieces. Some have suggested that one or two of the words might be a proper name. Therefore, uh, we would choose either Curiae or Electra as uh, the name. The most plausible explanation is that she was an unknown, saved woman, loved by all who knew her. Her children, with whom John had any contact, were all obedient to the truth. Her home apparently housed the congregation of believers in her vicinity, and she was well known for her hospitality, especially uh, to taking care of itinerant preachers as they came through their region. Now, those false teachers that we talked about in our sessions on 1 John denied the incarnation of Jesus Christ. They also often denied the physical return of Christ to the earth. And apparently they were somewhere close to the one to whom this epistle was addressed. They spread their heresy in churches. And so he identifies the teaching as deceptive and anti-Christian uh, in verse 7. For uh, many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The apostle warned the elect lady to be alert lest she unwittingly gave opportunity to them to spread their error in her house. And because of the need for warning, he wrote his personal note to the woman and her children who probably lived in the area over which he had the general spiritual oversight. So if we place John in Ephesus, where tradition located him, then she probably lived in the Roman province of Asia. And the book was shortly written after the first epistle, and scholars say that was sometime between A.D. 85 and A.D. 95. He first commended the lady and her children for their love and loyalty to the truth, and then he desired to beg her to continue her walk in love and in commandment keeping. Finally, he wanted to warn her about the false teachers and to inform her of his plans to visit her and to send greetings from the children of her sister. This short epistle had a unique contribution to the canon, as I say, it's only 13 verses long. Uh, it uh, had a description of the attitudes and actions a Christian should manifest toward false teachers. The touchstone of heresy is an open denial of the truth that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. A denial of the incarnation or virgin birth automatically leads to a denial of Christ's sinless life. 
his substitutionary atonement is also denied, his bodily resurrection and his second coming is denied as well if we deny that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. No opportunity should be given to such teachers to preach or to teach in any assembly of believers. No hospitality or greeting should even be given to them. Any encouragement of them will bring to the involved believer a loss of reward. When we talk about fundamental doctrines, there cannot be any tolerance of error or so-called academic freedom that would allow people to say that Christ was not the very Son of the living God. Now let's get into the reading of the word. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. This shows the relationship between John and the elect lady. That relationship was based upon love of God and the truth of who Christ is. He loved the lady and her children in truth. They who knew the truth also loved her in the truth, and they all loved for the sake of truth, which was in them, and that would be with them forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, of course, originated from God in truth and in love, and that was what he was passing on in his salutation. In verse 4, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many, uh, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you've heard from the beginning, you should walk in them. In verse 7, for as many deceivers, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Wow. As I read through that, my mind is filled with the imagery of the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is God the Son. Now there in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. He had contact with some of the lady's children and it caused him to rejoice because they were walking in truth and in love. It does not imply that he found some that weren't, by the way. All whom he had had contact with were obedient to God and his word. He appealed that their mutual love might continue, a love based on obedience. 
matter of days ago, I was talking with a father who asked me to pray for his child. His child is an adult on, on his own, living his own life, and needing to be drawn to Christ. And this is not the first father or mother that I've talked to in recent time that had asked, had asked me to pray for an errant child. And that is a wonderful duty where we're called upon to pray for those who need Christ. Some have marched out on their own and have basically left their faith somewhere else. And some, however, have never placed their faith in Christ, have never come to that place of putting their faith in Christ. And what a sad time it is for the parents. Here, John is saying, I rejoice greatly, I found your children walking in truth. And he said, I didn't write a new commandment to you. I wrote an old one, we need to love one another. And this is love that we walk after his, Christ's commandments. This is the commandment that, as you've heard from the beginning, we should walk in it. Because of the deceivers that are in the world. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things. He's saying here that we are to not be caught up with what's going on in the world. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, what we've worked on, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So he informs her that deceiving anti-Christian teachers are coming around. And he warns her against being influenced by the false teachers. The church's doctrinal position on the person of Christ had already been revealed and defined, and there was no need for an advancement upon the doctrine. Rather, it needed to be defended. Neither doctrinal orthodoxy nor heresy are simple. They're not just academic issues, but they're involved in the possession or the absence of eternal life. She is commanded here not to allow her influential position to give apostates an opportunity to preach to the believers that met in her house. And she should never extend any form of Christian kindness or hospitality to them. Such involvement would actually aid the cause of Satan. And this is the standard by which the church that follows the, the assemblies, the body of Christ, that follows Christ Jesus. This is the standard by which we have been given how we are to deal with false teachers. If there are any come unto you, and bring not this doctrine that is the truth of Christ, bring uh, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. 
For he that biddeth him God speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. None of us want to be partaker of the evil deeds of a false teacher. Be careful to whom you give your your tithes, your offerings, your money. Be careful that the church that you attend is a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church. Be careful that the radio programs that you listen to and the television programs that you watch, when you think you're getting gospel messages, make sure you're getting gospel messages. There are many false teachers. They're all around, and we don't need to support any of them in any way, nor show them any kindness, according to John, if they are not presenting the word of God clearly. Let's go to verse 12. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. So John closes Second John by saying he would try to visit soon and he would give her additional information at that time. And then the children of thy elect sister greet thee. That's greetings from her relatives ending this short uh, postcard of a letter in Second John. When we take a look at Second John, we are instructed that fidelity is important. Fidelity to the Word of God. Fidelity to the love of God. Fidelity to those whom we love in Christ. In this portion of Scripture in Second John, this elect lady was highly respected, and she was loved by the people of God. John expressed his heartfelt appreciation for her, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. The love that's expressed here has to do with the wonderful bond of fellowship that exists between saints who are dedicated to Jesus Christ. Now this... Fellowship is rarely affected by selfish whims or imaginations. It prayerfully overlooks the failures of others while abstaining from criticism and petty unkindnesses. This is the love described so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. It's the kind of love that suffereth long and is kind, that envieth not, that vaunteth not itself, nor is it puffed up, it doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, it is not easily provoked, it thinketh no evil, it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And there in verse 7, it beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never fails. John knew this very well. He had experienced God's love through Christ and manifested it in his life. 
Furthermore, as a result of John's testimony, God's love was evidenced in the lives of many in the churches that were under his supervision. These people had received the truth, and when one apprehends the truth, the love of God is shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5. As the believer permits the Holy Spirit to control his life, love for others will be the result. Now John greets the elect lady with grace, mercy, and peace. Verse 3. Mercy has to do with the forgiveness of sin made possible by the blood shed on the cross. Peace means to bind, establishing an, an indissolvable bond between the repentant believer and the eternal God. This relationship results in a quietness and assurance of soul that can be known no other way. And how marvelous it is to experience God's grace, mercy, and peace is revealed in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the postal service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.